Well, good morning, and welcome to Christ Community. And if your reaction to me is, who's that guy? Um, that's okay. You probably don't know me, and I probably don't know you. Uh, my name is Tim, and I have the joy of being a part of Christ Community's Pastoral Fellowship Program, um, which if you don't know what that is, we have a great page on our website, which kind of explains um, what the Pastoral Fellowship is. It's a really unique, um, pretty incredible thing Christ Community does. So you should check that out. Um, but uh, normally I'm out in Olathe, kind of serve as an associate pastor um, out at the Olathe campus, but I'm here uh, this morning. And uh, that's a picture of my wife and our son, Isaiah. And uh, my wife, actually, Misty, uh, is 39 weeks pregnant today. Um, yeah. Which, uh, <laughs> which raises a question. Why is, why is the Olathe fellow preaching in the Leewood when his wife is 39 weeks pregnant? And I realized why this week. Because in pregnancy, the guy... His joy increases during the whole time of the pregnancy, right? It's sort of like Christmas. There's just anticipation, and you're just excited for the baby to come. The joy just gets more and more and more. And with, with the woman, the joy increases, right? It, gets, it does get more and more and more, but so does the pain and the sleeplessness and the charley horses. All sorts of things begin to increase with the joy, and there comes this moment where she realizes the pain is becoming more so than the joy, and she looks at her husband with his goofy anticipation and his ridiculous smile on his face, and she begins to realize this is his fault, (laughs) and this is not fair. And this puts the guy into a dangerous situation. And so pastors Tom and Kevin, realizing this, have pulled me from a place of danger to a place of safety this morning. Um, to preach to y'all. And, and just so you know, I ran, that, I ran that introduction by my wife. She laughed, laughed really hard and, and said, get out. <laughs> nah, not really. She, she thought it was funny. Um, but so I'm really, I'm glad to be here with you this morning. Um, the text we're in is obviously, it's one that you kind of can't mess up. Um, so I will try not to. Um, and yet it's also one, it's hard to imagine doing it, doing it justice. Um, so why don't I pray for us? And then let's, let's look at Revelation 21 and 22. Father, your word says that what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. So God, I laugh with you that I'm supposed to talk about that this morning. For God, I know I cannot do justice to the new heavens and the new earth and the new city that you are bringing to us. So God, I pray that you wouldn't make me preach. You would just come and bring it. And we would taste what we long for. We would taste our hope. God, I pray, come, Lord Jesus. But even if you don't come, use my words through your spirit to bring hope in, in, in ways I could never bring because, God, this, this story is, is so much better than anyone could tell it. God, I ask these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you and I are in the middle of a great story. And kids, like all great stories, it has a dragon, a girl who needs rescue, and someone coming for her. And kids, I know you don't need any sort of talking into believing that, right? I mean, you know that any story, good story, has a dragon, a girl, and someone rescuing her, right? That's what all good stories have. But... Some adults and some parents in here don't believe us. And so we have to convince them. 
But you see, kids, when you live in a world with a dragon, it can be really hard. A, a world with a dragon can be a sad place. And it, beca- it can become easy to begin to wonder if anyone really is coming. That I've had days where I've wondered if anyone is coming. Now for the adults in the room, I know you think I'm crazy. Because I really do believe we're in a story with a dragon, a girl who needs rescued, and someone coming for her. And you may wonder, well, why, why, would you, why would you say that? Why would you believe that? Well, it's because that's what the Bible says. And I understand the Bible can be a really confusing book to understand. That no doubt every person in this room, at some point in your life, you've, you've picked up the Bible, and you've begun reading it, hoping to be inspired or hoping to be encouraged, and you, you read it, and you just had no idea what you were reading. It was just confusing. Right, or other times, maybe a, someone like myself got up and started talking about the Bible for, for 35 minutes, and that just made the Bible even harder to understand. Or then sometimes there's guys like me who get up and open to the book of Revelation and start talking about the book of Revelation, and then the Bible just seems totally incomprehensible. And that, that's what we're doing this morning. We've turned to Revelation 21 and 22, the end of our story. And Revelation can be a confusing book. It has all sorts of things that are strange to us or weird to us. And, and because of that, we so often miss the big story that Revelation is telling us. The story that I said you and I are all in. That story with the dragon. See, the book of Revelation was written to people crying for rescue. There, it was written to Christians living in the first century who were, were suffering terribly for their faith. Some were being persecuted, some tortured, some perhaps even killed because they were Christians. And so they were losing hope. They were crying out for rescue, and those cries were seemingly being ignored. And so what God does is he shows John a vision, a revelation. And what the revelation is, it's it's many things, but at its core, what this revelation is, is a story about a dragon a girl, and a rider on a white horse coming for her. That's all Revelation is. And in fact, that's really what the story of the Bible is. One of my favorite authors, Indy Wilson, he said to his kids that the story of the Bible can be summed up in one sentence. Kids, slay the dragon, get the girl. It's pretty good. And as a church, we spent the past year telling this story of the Bible. And today we're at the end, Revelation 21 and 22. And as we look at the end of our story, the great story, the story with the girl, the dragon, and the one coming for her, as we look at Revelation 21 and 22, and we try to make sense of it, it may be helpful for us to look at at three things. What is gone, who is coming, and what is new? What is gone, who is coming, and what is new? Let's start with, with what is gone. Now, kids, obviously, at this point, you want to hear more about this dragon, right? And at the beginning of the story of the Bible, God makes this perfect garden, right? And and, and in the garden, he gives a man, he puts a man and a woman to live there in his presence, to work it and to enjoy it and to, to play in it. But one day, a serpent, a little dragon, comes into the garden. And the man forgot the first rule of every story with a dragon, You slay the dragon. You don't listen to it. But the man listened to the dragon. And here's what the dragon said. 
you can't trust God. God doesn't really love you. Don't live your life based on what God has told you to do because that will be a huge mistake. You can't trust God. And sadly, the man and the woman believed the dragon. The dragon convinced them that actually God was the real dragon. And because of that, everything sad, everything troubling, everything painful entered into our world. And when you read Revelation, some things that are there initially are really confusing. Especially in, in verse 1, if you were paying attention, that it begins pretty simple enough, right? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. What does John have against seas? Right? I mean, he makes a point of saying, don't worry, in heaven there will be no sea. Which is strange to us, right? We go to the sea for vacation. The sea is a place of fun. It's a place of enjoyment. And yet John says, no sea in heaven. None. Well, why? Well, one of the reasons why Revelation is so difficult for us to understand is Revelation takes the themes, the pictures, the images of the Old Testament and, and brings them to a fitting and, and perfect conclusion in, in the book of Revelation. And so when John says there is no sea, he's picking up on something that's in the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, and in the, even the rest of the book of Revelation, the sea is not a place where people go for vacation. The sea is always a place of chaos, of danger, of rebellion, of evil. And so look at Revelation twelve seventeen. Then the dragon became furious, and he went off to make war on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. In Revelation, in the rest of the Bible, the sea is where the dragon comes from. The sea is the place of all of our pain, all of our trouble, all of our sadness originates in the sea. And that's why John says, in the new heavens, and the new earth, there won't be a sea. Everything that causes you sadness, that causes you pain, will be gone. And that's important for us to hear because this morning we need to ask what, what this morning brings you sadness, anxiety. What brings you trouble this morning? I know it's something. That for me with one son 23 months old and another son who literally may be coming right now, I don't know, um, could come any moment, what troubles me is pretty obvious. That raising kids in this world can be an anxious work. And I still remember the first time my, my wife and I got pregnant. Um, it was an exciting day. It was an incredible day. And then a, a few weeks later, sadly, our, our first pregnancy ended in miscarriage. And, and we entered into it just a season of, of mourning and, and sadness, disappointment. And then shortly after that, really us not trying or seeking, we were pregnant again. And all through that pregnancy, we, we just wrestled with anxiety and fear. Going to the doctor's office was just something we were afraid of because we were afraid something was going to go wrong. And all through the pregnancy, we just we prayed, God, keep, keep our son safe. So finally, February 2nd, 2012, Isaiah was born into this world. And I remember holding him and initially feeling a great sense of relief. There he is in my arms. He's safe. He's healthy. He's born. Praise God. And then later that night, a whole nother wave of anxiety came over me. Can I provide for him? Can I protect him? And I realized 
in this world, I can't. That at some point, the sad world I live in is going to get to my son. And as much as I try and as hard as I fight and as, as, as much as I'll work, that is going to happen. I remember just being, being filled with fear and anxiety and, and I, I, I sang a song to my son which just great, gave me just great hope. It's a song I knew well, or I thought I did. It's a song you probably know. It's a song that actually was sung this past week at Leewood. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. And as I sang that to my son, I was just filled with the presence of God, knowing Isaiah is not ultimately mine. There's a God who watches over him more so than me. Because the reality is we live in a world where it seems like the dragon is winning. Sadness and disease, suffering, death, pain. We live in a world where it seems like the dragon is winning. And I'm not saying that the dragon is the direct cause of all those things. He's not. But this can be a hard world and can be deeply overwhelming. And in the face in the face of a world with so much trouble, I'm weak. You are weak. We all are weak. But he is strong. And he's coming. He hasn't just come once, he's coming again. And that's the good news that we read in this passage. He is coming to slay the dragon, to put an end to the sea, to put an end to everything that brings you sadness, anything that brings you trouble, anything that brings you pain. He is coming to do away with it, to slay the dragon. That he, the one who comes, is the one who ends our sadness. His presence is what makes the end of our story so great. And so that's what's gone, the sea, everything that that troubles us. And and who is coming is is fairly obvious. But before we get into that, some of you kids are wondering what happened to the garden, to the man and the woman, and certainly you want to know what happened to the dragon. Well, after everything fell apart and everything sad entered into the world in the garden, God came down and he said something to the dragon. He told the dragon that at some point, some distant descendant of that woman was going to come and slay the dragon, slay him was going to take care of him. And so the, the, the rest of the Bible, or much of the Bible, becomes the stories of people God sent into the world, men and women he sent into the world to fight the dragon. Women like Deborah and Ruth and Mary, men like Isaiah, Jeremiah, the Apostle Paul. And the story of the Bible is their fight with the dragon, but they all couldn't defeat him. And so one day, God becomes a human being, a distant descendant of that woman, And he's born into our world to come and fight the dragon. But here's where our story gets sad. Because like in the garden, humanity sided with the dragon again. And the one who came to rescue us, the one who came to set us free from our trouble, we crucified him. He ended up on a cross dead. And it looked like again, our story would just be filled with sadness and trouble and pain. That it looked like the hero had died and the dragon had won. But kids, you know, all stories, good people never really die. They don't stay dead. 
and the best hero of our story, Jesus, what looked like his death and defeat was actually his victory, that in his death, he overcame the dragon. And God raised him back to life and he came back to life. And ever since that moment, when he came out of his grave, that Jesus has been rescuing people from the clutches of the dragons. Do you know how I know? Because he rescued me. And many of you have been rescued. That that is our story. But understand, it's not just a story that Jesus has come. It is a story where Jesus is coming. That he's coming back to finish what he started. To finish and slay the dragon once for all. But we have to understand what makes his second coming so great, what makes the end of the story so great, is, is not because death and suffering and pain and all those things will be gone. That's really good, but the reason they will be gone is because God will be present. He will be near to us, that we will dwell with him. That, that verse 3 is so important for us to hear, that as John sees this revelation, he hears a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And do you know why in this life I'm filled with fear and anxiety and trouble? It's not because of disease. It's not because of those things. It's because I don't know God like I'm meant to. That all of our fundamental problem, it's not war, it's not disease, it's not sadness. It's that we don't know God like we're meant to. But Jesus is coming to fix all of that. And John sees this vision. And one of the, the strange things he sees towards the end of Revelation 21 is he sees a city coming down out of heaven. And what he says about the city is he makes this point of saying that the city, its length and width and height are all equal. In other words, John says it's a cubed city coming down out of the sky. Which, why would he say that? Why does he make a point of saying it's a cubed city? Like we're all supposed to be excited about that. Well, the reason is because in the Old Testament, if you, if you wanted to, to be in the presence of God, you went to the temple. You went to worship God in the temple. But the, the reality was you could not get all the way to where God really was. You could only sort of be on the outskirts. That further into the temple, there was a curtain. And behind that curtain was this little room called the Holy of Holies, where people hardly ever were able to go. Because that's where God's presence was most thick. It was most real. And to those of us who sided with the dragon. The presence of God is, is a place we often can't go because it's too threatening. It's too dangerous. But that, that holy of holies, that, that room was shaped like a cube. And so when John says in Revelation 21, when he sees this city, this cube city coming down to, to earth, what he's saying is the presence of God will so fill that city miles long and miles wide and miles high. It will so fill that city. It will be like all of creation is the holy of holies. God's presence filled to the brim. Us dwelling with God and God dwelling with us. No longer will there be distance between us and God, but we will dwell with him. And he will wipe those tears from our eyes. He will bring joy to our hearts. His comforting presence will be the one thing we live for and live with for all of eternity. That is what makes the new creation such good news. The comforting, kind, gracious, loving presence of God. But this also creates a problem. Because as we've heard in our story, throughout the story of the Bible people continually 
rebel and run away from the presence of God and join the dragon in fighting against God. And that's what happens all through the Old Testament. God sends prophets and they're killed. God sends people to share his word and they're martyred. It's a story of revelation. That's why God is writing here because there are Christians suffering for their faith. So the question becomes, well, what happens to those who oppose God? How does their story end? This is where I must say, I think we Christians have, have misunderstood the end of the story. And as a kid, I sort of grew up with the idea of God's judgment sort of going something like this. That, that, that people come before God and God says, you didn't love me, I'm sending you away. And they're, they're apologetic, they're sorry, they're sad. And they say, God, no, please let us come in. We're sorry, we repent. And God says, no, it's too late, get away. And that's how the story is often told. But the Bible does not present judgment like that. The Bible presents judgment in a much different way. That look at verse 6. As John's describing this new creation, this new earth, he says, to the, the, he says from the throne, God says, To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. It's free. It's of grace. Come and drink if you want to. And then later in Revelation 21, John spends a great deal talking about the gates of the city. And what he says is that the gates will never be shut by day and there will be no more night there. And this means, I think, a couple of things. One, heaven is such a place of safety, the gates never have to be shut. You can leave them open because nothing's going to threaten the city. But beyond that, the gates are open. No one's being kept out. Any who wants to enter can. And yet the Bible is painfully clear. There are, are many who will refuse to enter, who want no part of the new creation. And I know that sounds ridiculous, that people would want to stay out of heaven. But not one place in the Bible does anyone depicted in hell repent or ask to leave. That to the end, some will think God is the dragon and find heaven intolerable. That ultimately, God wants to be in your life. He, want, he loves us. He, he wants us to be, be near to him. But what that means is God's interfering presence will come into our life. And even though he interferes only for our good, he does interfere. That God will make demands of you. He may demand you to be more generous. He may demand you to pray for the person you complain about. He may demand you take a Sabbath and rest. God will make demands. I am confident that if there have been some point in all of your lives where God has said, don't do that, do this. And how we respond in, in those moments make it clear what we think of God. That if we refuse to listen, we still think God is a dragon. We don't want anything to do with his interfering presence. Or we, we listen and we trust. But don't fall for the lie of the dragon. And God is your kind rescuer. He interferes in your life for your good. Now trust him, even when it hurts. That his presence can hurt, but that's only because he's leading us to a water and a fountain and a life we could never get on our own. But the good news is that God is not just coming in the future. He comes now. He's present now. And that will either mean great joy or great sadness. So finally then, what is new? We have what is gone, who is coming, what is new. 
Honestly, as a kid, heaven sounded really boring to me. I remember one church service in particular where we sang the song, I Could Sing of Your Love Forever. And just before we sang that song, the worship leader introduced the song by saying that, that in heaven, it's just going to be one long worship service where we just sing our praises to God forever. And, and to a worship leader, I'm sure that sounds like heaven. But to a kid, not so much. And so we, we sang that song, and, and the, the chorus of that song is, I could sing of your love forever. And it, that line is just repeated four times. And he repeated the chorus like four or five times. So we sang that line, I could sing of your love forever, like 20 times. And so the first time, you kind of sing it with confidence, right? I, God, I could sing of your love forever. Right? And then the second times, it begins to wear on you. You get to like the seventh, eighth time you're singing that line, it sort of becomes a question. God, God, I could sing of your love forever. And then by like the, the 18th time you've sung that line, you've just given up. You're like, God, there's no way I can sing of your love forever. Please do not make me do this. But that's not the image that, that John gets in Revelation 21. It's not some disembodied soul singing praises to God. It's new creation. It's a city coming to earth. And what's in a city? Art. Beauty. Architecture. Great food, community. And so God comes and says, I'm making all things new. So what does that mean? What does it mean for God to make all things new? Well, it means God is not just giving us new things. It means that God is coming to give us what we lost and something even better. That in Genesis, we lost a garden with two worshipers. But in the new creation, we will gain a city miles long and miles wide and miles high, filled to the brim with worshipers of God from every tribe, tongue, and nation. That in the garden, we lost a garden in the corner of the world. But in Revelation, we gain a city that fills the earth and fills to the brim the presence of God. That in the old creation, we lost access to the tree of life. But in the new creation, we gain access to a trees whose leaves have the very power to heal nations. Though we lost a garden because we chose to side with the dragon. But in the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth, we will gain access to the very rule of God. A rule of righteousness, peace, justice, love, and kindness. But do not understand, John doesn't just say that, that he will one day, God will one day make all things new. What God says from his throne is that I am making all things new. That's a present tense verb. That, that new creation doesn't just begin off in the future. It's happening right here and right now. God has come in to this world. And what that means for us as Christians is that we participate with God in the renewal of his creation. And so I think that means a couple of things for us as Christians. The back in Revelation 12, God mentions this, that, that the church actually participates in the slaying of the dragon. And what he says about that is that, that God, they, God's church, have conquered the dragon by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives, even unto death. That we as the church can participate in the slaying of the dragon. And this means two things for us. At first, it means that we, we preach the gospel, right? Revelation 12, by the word of their testimony. We preach that, that sadness and pain and death and a dragon do not have the last word in this, this life, but Jesus has that last word. And his word is grace 
and peace and love and a new creation. But beyond that, we fight the dragon by participating in God's creation, re- renewal of creation now. That God is already making things new. And so wherever you are, wherever God sends you, in your vocation, amongst your, your family, amongst your friends, wherever you are, fight the dragon. That if you're a lawyer, fight injustice. If you're a doctor, fight disease and sickness. If you're a teacher, fight illiteracy and lack of opportunity. If you're a business owner, fight poverty and unemployment. And if you're a stay-at-home mom, raise those little ones to fight the dragon. Now, wherever you are, wherever God sends you, fight the dragon. That we can't usher in a new creation, but we serve the one who will and is making all things new. And so we can serve with hope. We can, can fight with hope. But I know, I know what some of you are thinking right now. I hate my job. Raising kids is tough. This world is, is a difficult place to live. And I know. This world can be a hard place to live. But remember, we have a hope that cannot be taken from us. And this was illustrated for me recently when I saw the movie 12 Years a Slave. It was a brutally honest depiction of a man named Solomon Northrup who was a free black living in New York until he was kidnapped and forced to live in slavery. He was separated from his wife and three kids and for 12 years was the victim of incredible injustice and cruelty. And the most memorable moment of the movie for me was one of the slaves had died and and all of the slaves had gathered around his grave to sing and they they began singing a song and and the the, the camera sort of centered into Solomon's face and you just saw the sadness and his grief and his despair. But as they sing, you, you begin to see hope and tears of hopefulness that his slavery would not be the last word in his life. And he sang the words of a Negro spiritual, Roll, Jordan, roll, roll, Jordan, roll. My soul will arise in heaven, Lord, for the year when Jordan rolls. That watching slaves sing that song filled me with such hope. Because you can have years or, or days of sadness and hopelessness and injustice and, and cruelty behind you and perhaps even years of injustice and cruelty and sadness in front of you and you can still sing with hope because no one can take that hope from you because he has promised to come and he is coming. That our story will end like all stories with dragons end. With a dragon slain, the girl in danger with a new husband and a rescuer in a white horse. That one of the images that is clear all through Revelation is John refers to the church as the bride of Christ. And I know that can be difficult for us guys to think of ourselves as Jesus' bride. I get it, that's weird. But that is the best image because what's a bride? She's pure, she's holy, she's blameless. And God is making us into that. So that one day he will come and rescue us, those of us who at one point sided with the dragon, rebelled against our God. He will make us into his bride and we will live with him happily ever after. I know it's cheesy, but there's a reason every story ends with that line. Because our story, the true story, will end with that line. That Jesus has promised us all, I am coming soon.
And that's why the church, early church, prayed for centuries, come, Lord Jesus. And that prayer is not some vain hope. It's not some empty sentiment. That the hope of a new creation with no pain and sadness and death, that is not an empty prayer because Jesus is coming. And one day he will come, slay the dragon, he will get his girl, his bride, his church, and we will reign with him forever and ever. So we pray, come Lord Jesus. Let's pray. God, that is my prayer, that you would come. God, I pray that your hope would fill our hearts this morning. The hope of a, of, a, of a life to come that we could not earn for ourselves, that we could not win for ourselves. And God, we would be filled with the, the, the images and the picture of a new heaven and a new earth. God, one for us by our Savior who rescues us. So God, I pray, come, Lord Jesus, come.